Welcome to Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown, the founder and CEO of Enter the Arena. I'm a serial entrepreneur and an expert in raising investment and business growth. Our mission at Enter the Arena is to empower female founders to fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business with investment expertise and business coaching. Here we share the stories of inspirational female founders who've raised investment to inspire you to do the same. You'll hear their honest accounts of what it was really like to secure funding, the highs, the lows and the challenges they experienced on the journey. And along the way, we'll discuss top tips for how you can be successful too. So today I'm speaking with Lisa Eaton, the founder of Fabric Academy. Now, Fabric Academy is an online training provider for marketeers and marketing teams that empowers them to level up their knowledge and critical skills that they need for success in their field. Uh, Fabric Academy's programs are CPD accredited, which means continual professional development for those of us who aren't in the know on this. And they've already attracted brands such as Indeed, Boots, The Body Shop, Itsu and Savills to level up their marketing teams. Lisa has over 20 years experience as a marketeer for global brands before she set up Fabric Academy in 2021. So let's meet Lisa and find out all about her fundraising journey, what she learned along the way and her tips that might help you with your own fundraising endeavours. So welcome, Lisa. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Julia. Thank you for the wonderful introduction there as well. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to find out about your journey. And you know, you've been in the field of marketing for a really long time. You've been creating and executing marketing communication strategies, working as a consultant. What made you want to set up an online training program for marketeers? Well, that is a good question that I ask myself still every day. Um, so this was, um, in honest, it was an accidental decision. Um, I have had a marketing agency for the last 10 years. Um, and part of our um, ambition to grow the agency um, was around access to talent. So we had no shortage of clients in the agency, but we really struggled to find strategic marketers to to recruit and therefore look after our clients and deliver strategies. Um, so I started doing a big research piece as to why this skills gap was so prevalent up in the northeast of England, where we're based, um, and realised quite quickly that there was a huge um, gap between what higher education and um, CIM and academia was teaching um, versus what industry really required and what marketers required in terms of their training and development to be really successful in their roles. Um, and in that research piece, I, I recognised it wasn't just the northeast or, or me, my agency that was suffering from this skills gap. In fact, it wasn't even just a UK problem. This is a global issue. Um, the American market are having the same issues as are the European markets. So it seemed like a really sensible idea to um, create something that, I guess, bridged this gap between academia and industry. Um, and so we threw ourselves full force into building a training academy that would help marketers understand how to build marketing strategies from scratch. Um, and that is the start of Fabric. That was the start of our, our journey um, into building a tech, an ed tech business um, a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. So quite a different business from having run an agency, I imagine. And it, I mean, it, what I'm interested in knowing is kind of, is, is this something that can really 
scale, do you think? Is there a global opportunity out there for this business? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the it's a product-based business now. So it's um, online, on-demand, remote training. Um, so we are already reaching a global audience. Um, we have um, customers and marketers in all of the four continents. Um, we have um, some some good size contracts in the American market at the moment, but marketers find us from as far as the Philippines, Africa, um, D- Dubai. Um, we have global um, marketers now. So we have been scratching the surface, I guess, over the last couple of years as we started to build the business and built it on a on a bit of a shoestring whilst we bootstrapped it. Um, and we've managed to attract, glo- you know, a global audience. So there's no doubt that there is a demand for this um, globally. And uh, yeah, and our, our mission now is to serve that audience and make sure we're, um, we're disrupting the marketing education <laughs> landscape a little bit. Fantastic. I mean, as a marketing expert, you know, I would expect you to be pretty good at marketing your own product. What are, what are your strategies around how you go out there and raise awareness with clients? How do you find clients? Um, what's your own strategy? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I mean, this is all, I guess, part of what we teach. That strategy is so important and it must come before tactical delivery. And that's, I guess, a lot of the mistakes that we see in the the marketing industry as a whole is that marketers tend to delve straight into tactical delivery as opposed to strategic planning. Um, I mean, our strategy was... um, as you can imagine, knee deep. It was a huge strategy, um, but it started with the UK market only. Um, we weren't intending to reach a global audience in the first two years by any means. Um, our intention was to start to move into the American and European market year three and year four. Um, but we are very good marketers, um, as we should be, of course. Um, and we were able to reach a much bigger audience through organic socials, through really specialized content, through really understanding our buyer personas in depth um, and marketing to those on an individual basis. Um, And everything that we've achieved up until this point, we've done with next no marketing budget, um, which is um, quite incredible in itself. Um, What it's allowed us to do is obviously test and trial all those different methodologies, because of course, there's no perfect solution to marketing. Um, But it means now we're about to put, you know, a really decent marketing budget in place, having closed our investment, we're very confident the strategies we've got in place are working well and will only work better so um yeah it's been start small um as as much as we've been super ambitious about it start small start sensible um and sustainable and then build upon that now we've got the confidence that the impact is in the right places brilliant I, i was going to ask you actually kind of what did you need to raise investment for but you just given me a big hint on that one which is around marketing so that you can you know expand the business Is that the main thing that you wanted to raise investment for? Yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, when I set the business up, I didn't have any intention to raise investment. Um, The two businesses that I've had prior to this, we never had any investment. They were grown organically, um, both successfully. Um, So it was never that I set out to run this business and raise investment. Um, The plan was to bootstrap it and do it, um, I guess, slowly. Um, But what I recognized quite quickly in the first sort of five or six months of taking the product to market was that we had something really phenomenal. Um, And I was seeing the impact very quickly and I was seeing what we had was very unique compared to other training providers out there. And we wanted to be first to market. We wanted to dominate that space. Um, we wanted to lead that space and set a new global framework. So the the decision for investment was 
for that that reason um, to be first to market and, and instead of that sustainable growth go fast and go quick um, once we had confidence and evidence in the product that it was you know it's best in category um, and so that was the reason for raising investment but the you know, you know part of the investment spend of course is on sales and marketing strategies it was on key hires I mean we were we were a team of two when we started out um, and three when we raised the investment so you know we've done it on a, a you know a really tiny team with very minimal overheads um and tech development was all done in-house as well so there's some some advancements to that that we're now looking at which is really exciting in the education space as well but it's interesting that that decision you have to make as an entrepreneur especially where you when you haven't necessarily thought this from the start is you know do i raise investment or do i grow organically and of course when you raise investment it takes you on quite a different path doesn't it because ultimately you are on a path to exit did it take you a while to become comfortable with that, with that idea that, you know, if you're taking on investment, you're going to have to scale it and then you're going to have to sell it at some point so that people can no. take their money off the table? No, that the this business was always built to sell. It was built to exit from day one. My previous business, which was the marketing agency, there was never an intention to sell. I genuinely thought I'd die in that agency. It was like part of the family. Um, and when I did come to look to sell that agency, I recognized that we weren't built to sell. I hadn't structured the agencies to sell. It was going to take probably a good year, if not more, of work to get that agency in a position to sell. Um, and also I built this business right at the beginning of the pandemic. And as with many of us, the pandemic changed lots of our missions and passions and future projections of what we're here to do and why. So when I built Fabric as a, a second business to the agency, it was fully built to scale and to exit. Um, and so it's been built that way from the beginning. So that was never a difficult decision. And it wasn't really part of the investment decision. Actually, it was a decision in building the business from the very outset. The decision to raise investment came a little bit further down the line for me once we had a once we had that product market fit, really. Yeah, because at that point, the investment is, is it's just simply a tool to help you get to where you want to go. That's all. Absolutely. And so if that's going to help you get there faster, uh, create something much bigger, get to that exit really well, it's a really great decision. And yeah. I think as a second time entrepreneur, you, you, can, you come to those decisions much more quickly, I, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And although I did come to that decision much more quickly, I had no idea what I was doing stepping into the investment <laughs> world. <laughs> it was Ooh. like a baptism of fire. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, it is. It is. And even for seasoned entrepreneurs, you know, every fundraising round can, can sometimes feel like that. Yeah. And, and as you said, you had quite a small team at that point. Um, and as a solo founder, did, who did you have around you? Did you have an advisory board or some senior people who've been through it who could guide you no no I didn't to start with and I guess this is probably one of the I guess mistakes or, or things I would do differently if I was to go back and do it again um I, I applied for an accelerator which was was when I'd consciously made the decision to raise investment I knew I needed some help I knew I needed some knowledge and some support and I felt an accelerator was probably the quickest and fastest way to get that kind of wide breadth of knowledge um, which was an amazing decision and, and um, you know, was did wonders for, I guess, getting me up to speed with what the investment process looked like. Um, one of the things that we didn't cover so much in the accelerator, which I really wish I had known before I'd gone into it, was 
get that really good trusted circle of advisors around you before you physically start the fundraise. Um, so I find my I found myself kind of knee deep in fundraising and still hadn't got my legal team and my accountancy team and my you know my my advisors around the actual fundraise in place. Um, and there was a bit of a scrabble to get that ready and right at the right times. Um, whereas if I'd gone backwards, I should have done that way earlier and had those trusted relationships in place. But because this was the first time I was stepping into an, an investment process and because it was a very t different type of business to the agency, the teams that I had over there didn't really fit the criteria of the teams that I needed in the new business. So lots of that was new relationships, um, new contracts, new um, briefings, new kind of fin figuring out what we needed together and then building that structure. But uh, that was definitely, I guess, a big learning for me once I was into the investment and the fundraise itself of having that trusted support of advisors was, I mean, towards the end, it was it was invaluable. It should yeah. have been there at the start. It makes all the difference, <laughs> makes all the difference. Yeah. So you started off, um, I'm right in thinking that you started off by talking to venture capital firms. Is that right? It did. That's correct. Yeah. How, yes. did that, so how did that go? Um, it went okay. Um, and I'm confident if we'd stuck with that route, we would have we would have secured investment from the VCs. Um, what I hadn't done properly um, when I decided to raise investment was figure out which route was right for me. I went straight for VCs, um, thinking that was the, you know, that was the first route to go for and the best route to go for. And it wasn't until I was in many of those VC meets and I was starting to really understand the complexities and the requirements and the outputs required and what a VC relationship actually looks like with a business that I started to question whether that was what we actually needed at this point in our journey. Um, and I spoke to some um, pretty tough VCs and I spoke to some phenomenal VCs who were just really helpful and very, very honest. Um, and it was their advice, actually, that made me question, is this the right route for me at the, this right time? And that's where I made the decision to go and start to speak to angels. Um, and it seems really obvious now, right? It seems like most people will probably start with the angel route and go to VC. Um, I hadn't explored that route. And if I'm honest, the accelerator that I was on didn't talk a lot about the angel route. It was all about the VC route. Um, so I think I took that a little bit literally and probably wasted a fair bit of time in the beginning of the fundraise, if I'm honest, heading for the wrong direction and very quickly realizing actually angels were much better for us for what we needed at this stage in the journey. Julia here. I hope you are enjoying this podcast episode. So let's just take a short break because I'd really like to let you know about the fundraising academy for female founders that I run. Now, if you're looking to raise investment and you'd like the very best training and support as you go through the journey, then I would love to help you because joining the program is going to empower you with the strategy, skills and support you need for success with your raise. From ensuring you have an investable company, preparing your pitch assets like your pitch deck and financials, knowing exactly how to reach out to the right investors, how to have great conversations with them that lead to them investing in you. And you're going to get all the tools and templates you need and check-ins every week. And alongside all of that, we support you with your mindset and your confidence, which is so important when you're fundraising. You'll get to meet your peers who are going through the same process too. And you'll also have online support whenever you need it. 
You can join group coaching sessions and you can also get one-to-one time with me too. We have helped dozens of amazing women raise investment through our programme and we'd love to help you too. So if you'd like more information on the Fundraising Academy for female founders, then just go to entertherearena.co.uk and we'll see you there. Yeah, I mean, it, it is actually a very common mistake that founders make. And I think that's yeah. because we see so much in the media and online yeah. about VCs. And actually, the reality is that for most businesses, they are not a good fit. And especially when you're quite early stage, they're not a good yeah. fit. And I would also say right now, particularly it, the VC market is very, very challenging in the current market. So early stage angel investment is definitely a, a great way to go. So you're up in the Northeast. Yes. How easy, you know, how easy was it to find angels? Like, Tell us about your experience trying to find those magic people who are going to back you at quite early stage. Um, well, it was not easy at all. <laughs> it was not easy. Um, I mean, genuinely, I didn't go about um, approaching most of my angel investors for angel investment, crazily enough. Um, most of them I didn't even know were angel investors. Um, what I did do, which was I found very, very sensible and a really great learning is that I identified early what the weaknesses were in the business, um, where we had knowledge gaps, where we had skills gaps, where we had expertise or access to networks or connection gaps. And I mapped that out very clearly. And I started to identify, um, I guess, business leaders or experts up in the Northeast area where they could fill those knowledge gaps. And my intention was to build an advisory board, I guess, in some some small shape. Um, and I then went to each of those different um, people and spoke to them and told them the story, some of which I knew, some which I had never met before, I just knew of. Um, but I was very bold and quite brave and just reached out to them and said, I'd love to tell you what about what, you know, what I'm doing and see if there's any way we could work together. Um, and in telling them the story and what we'd achieved so far and what we'd built and the mission that we were on, um, many of them then announced they were angel investors and would love to be involved. Um that became what became apparent, I guess, through that process is that there are angel investors everywhere. It's just it's in, it's it's very difficult to know who they are. Um, so after many coffees, many, many, many coffees with many people, I started simply asking the question, who is up here in the northeast of England? Who is investing currently in businesses, tech businesses, SaaS businesses, marketing interests um, who might be worth speaking to you? And. I should say that there was some very great VCs up here who helped pinpoint me in the right direction when I started asking those more direct questions. Um, but honestly, it must have taken me two or three months of just figuring that kind of bank of people out. Um, it wasn't easily accessible by any means. And the time it took to find out who they were and eventually reach them was, you know, it was huge. Um but I did eventually speak to them all and um, most of them were really positive about the journey. Um, we were lucky in the fact that by the time I went to angel investors, we had a product in market. We built the tech platform. It was already performing. It was already generating revenue. We had some really great, great contracts on the cards. So we weren't going from a really, really early stage. Um, we had something established and we had some track record to show them. 
Um, but of course, you know, they do, they, you know, they take a chance on you, right? A, a chance on an early business. So it was tough. It was lengthy. Um, we got there in the end, but yeah, there's got to be a better way, I'm sure. <laughs> it's always tough raising investment. I think that, that that's that's true. And I mean, it is, it's a sales process that you're running. It's about putting the right quality people in the top of the funnel, prospective investors, and, and then moving them through that funnel, having great conversations so that you get the right outcome at the other end. Um, a couple of questions I want to ask you around that. One is about, one is actually, how many angel investors do you think you did speak to? How many were at that top of that funnel? Do you know, funnily enough, it wasn't a huge funnel. Um, so most of the investors that I spoke to um, have invested. Um, there's probably, so I've got six angel investors in the round currently, um, and there was probably maybe five others who I spoke to and it wasn't the right fit for them. Um, so it wasn't like I'd seen 300 angels and six of them invested. I mean, God, to find those people, that would have taken me a year probably. Um, what I think, and I would like to think there was some strategic plan in this, is that I found the right people or I approached the right people. I qualified them before I reached out. So I wasn't just scattergun approach, who's a who's an angel investor. I was thinking, who can add value? Who has an interest in my area and could add some, you know, some experience and expertise? And um, are they the right fit for us? Um, you know, do, do, do I believe that they will be the right culture fit for the business and the mission that we're on? So I was quite choosy about who I who I went to. Um, and as I say, most of them, um, some very quickly said yes. And, the you know, the transaction was done very quickly. Some took a lot longer to convince. Um, but eventually the six that I, you know, I really wanted, I, I got closed. Um and the others, it you know, it wasn't right for them. And, and if it was not right for them, it's also not right for us. So, um, so yeah. I mean, but that's a fabulous conversion rate. <laughs> so actually, yes, it's hard, but you you did that very cleverly. And again, as a marketeer, I think you you understand the process and of finding people with the, who could be the right fit. I mean, you mentioned for some of them that took a bit of convincing, and I'm, I'd love to know what were the key challenges and objections with your business that you had to overcome to yeah. to make sure that investors felt convinced that this was a great opportunity? Yeah, um, it was pretty much the same one with all that were a little bit on the fence. And it was the fact that it was a, that our specialism was marketing, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, there was a lot of interest that we were a tech business. Um, we were an online platform um, that we were we were moving into the SaaS space. So initially we were just the program. We're now a SaaS model as well. Um, that was that was great for them all. What some of them struggled with was the fact that we were marketers, we were teaching marketing and that they didn't get marketing or that marketing wasn't their area of expertise or could they really add value to this business if, you know, their background wasn't in marketing. Um, so it was more so the, the fact that, you know, one, there was a scalable audience here and a global audience and we could take this product to them. And two, the fact that it didn't really matter that we were marketing in a sense. 
you know, the business could, the, what we could have been teaching could have been anything. It happened to be that we'd built the tech, we'd scaled the tech, we'd taken the tech to market, and we now had some credible results. Um, it just so happened our audience was marketers. Um, but there was definitely some hesitation around that from those that didn't, certainly not, not value marketing, but just didn't understand it or hadn't been their experience. Okay, interesting. Yeah, you're right. They don't have to be an expert in that particular subject to be able to get on board. But there are many other ways that people can help you with that business. Absolutely. And we are experts at marketing. So that wasn't a skill set that I went out to find. Um, You know, if we don't have that covered, we're in trouble. So um, it was much more, you know, scaling a tech product, access to, you know, AI and data analysis information, um, B2B enterprise sales, overseas markets. They were the skills gaps that we were starting to look to fill. Um, Marketing we had covered from the beginning. So we were good there. (laughs) That's good. Um, and so what was it like kind of bringing the round together? So you've got six angel investors. What was the negotiation process like? What was it like closing that round? It was, um, it was okay, actually. Um, I guess the, the difficulty I think around it was that I had lots of different people at different stages. And so, it wasn't like I had this lineup of everybody that in one month all said yes. Month two, they were all going through the term sheets. Month three, we closed and money was in the bank. So it was like juggling lots of different balls because some I was still pitching to, or others I was closing and the others were in negotiation. So it wasn't very neat as, as I would like to explain it. Um, I guess in my head, I would have had everybody lined up and then we would have started the close process then. Um, it didn't happen that way. But what did happen is once I got the first couple of investors in, um, it, it, it accelerated the process. Um, one, because those names helped because they were very well established business leaders in the Northeast and they gave us a lot of credibility um, when we were pitching to other investors. Um, and two, going through the process with them first then meant I wasn't going through it the first time with everybody. Um, we agreed terms with the initial early investors and they were the terms that we stuck to right the way throughout the round. Um, and we closed everybody at the same, at the same position. So, um, yeah, it was a, I guess if I was to go back and do it differently, I'd probably try and line up everybody a little bit, um, you know, in a more structured way, but whether that ever happens in reality, I'm not sure. So (laughs) it's quite hard. I mean, I think that was, that was the old way that it used to be done, but more and more now, we're seeing rolling closes where, yeah. you know, you get your first commitment, you agree the terms, you just do it, you get the paperwork done with them, yeah. you close it, and then you get the others in, uh, you know, with a, with a deadline in mind so that you get the whole thing done, at, at, you know, within a reasonable time frame. But um, absolutely, I think that's and very common use- and it's easier to do that now than it used to be with a lot of the, the, the legal systems that are out there. Definitely. Um, and we discovered Seed Legals quite early on who were phenomenal for us in terms of the support um, and just the way they structure everything that you've got um, access to. When we used an advanced subscription agreement to close all of our early investors um, before we converted everybody. And, the you know, the, that process was brand new to me. I'd never done that before. And I was slightly nervous about using Seed Legals, if I'm honest, because I felt like I might have needed on the ground support, whatever that means. Um, but they were brilliant. Um, you know, the process that I went through with them and the support structure around um, explaining terms and terminology and making sure it was all correctly structured um, was brilliant and very, very easy, very simple, very quick. 
make um, so that perfectly structured to help, you know, particularly seed seed rounds for sure. Yeah, we're big fans of seed legals here and we recommend them to, to most of our clients. Actually, I think when you, especially when it's a reasonably straightforward early deal, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a process. It's a process yeah. and also yeah. can save you a lot of money if you work with a company like that rather than a yeah. traditional big legal firm. So absolutely. So, I mean, you talked about kind of a few things that you would perhaps do differently if you could go back again. What would your advice be to to other female founders who are sort of getting ready and thinking about raising investment? Um, Well, I would definitely say have the right advisory team in place from the outset. I did touch on that slightly um, earlier, but just making sure that you've got your structure right um, and making sure that you've got those people to call upon and particularly if you're going through an investment for the very first time there's lots of things that you question that you just don't know the answers to and having that expert counsel somebody who you know you can ask the stupid questions to and not you know not feel silly um, or who will give you a really honest opinion around what you're doing and how you're structuring it is really important um so that that would be my first piece of advice. Um, my second piece of advice would just be weigh the pros and cons up of the routes to investment and which is right for you. Um, I think I wasted a lot of time early on going down the wrong route for us, going down the VC route. Um, so, you know, there are so many different mechanisms to um f- fund your business growth investment isn't right for everybody or certain types of investment isn't right for everybody so probably you know do a little bit of homework around which you feel is the right route and test that and ask people questions around it and go to those who have done it and ask for their experience um, and figure that out first and then make sure your pitch is ready for that audience um, so my pitch was all geared towards VCs. And I recognized when I switched to angels, I was still pitching the VC pitch. And it sounds silly because it's the same business and it's the same pitch, essentially. But as with marketing, it needs to be tailored to the right audience. And angels wanted different information to what the VCs wanted. And I wasn't prepared for that, which is, a you know, my bad given a marketer, I should have been ready and prepared for that. Um, but I think it's because I took the wrong route in the first place. So I think get the right advisory team in place, know the right mechanism to fund the business and make sure you're comfortable with the route that you're going and then plan and prepare your pitch for that audience and make sure it's relevant to them. Yeah. Probably Ex- be my- excellent yeah. advice. And I think on that last point, you know, you may have a pitch for angels, but actually every, every conversation you have with an investor might be different. So Absolutely. it's about tailoring that. Um, based on the conversation you're having but absolutely fit fit for your audience Um, yes indeed great advice thank you so what's next for fabric I mean you've mentioned about the global opportunity if you get this marketing machine humming which I'm guessing you are going to uh, if you didn't I'd be a bit concerned (laughs) you know do you think you'll need to raise more investment or actually is this a is this a machine that could become self-funding um, without the need for further investment what do you what's your take on it now yes yeah, so we've got i mean we have got two routes here so uh if we do what we plan to do over the next year now we've got the investment in and we've got a good set of runway and we've got the key people now in place which we didn't have before and we've got the strategies ready to execute um then it's possible we might not raise again um if we meet the numbers, which we're well on track to start doing, um, you know, we will generate revenue quite quickly. And because 
we're a tech business. We don't have huge overheads. Um, it's completely different to the agency structure, which was people for time and money. Um, you know, this is a product-based business. So um, I'm confident we wouldn't raise again in that situation. There are two areas where it's likely we will raise again outside of just what we're trying to do from, a, um, I guess, a growth and revenue point of view. Um, we've got two big clients in the American market already. Um, we don't have a team on the ground in the American market, nor have we started to market to the American market. Um, if we decide that there is a big opportunity for us over there, then it's likely we will probably raise again to go and do that setup properly over in America. Um, and we're doing some really cool, interesting things in the education space around AI at the moment. Um, we're not going wild with that because of course um you know we don't want it to suck cash out of the business but we are disrupting the education marketplace that is exactly what we're trying to do and we're trying to do some very new and innovative things around the learning experience with ai if over the next six to 12 months we find some of the things that we're doing are really working and really advancing that experience it's likely we might use another raise to develop that to another level um, so in terms of the business scale and growth, um, I'm confident we'll be self-sustainable in terms of our growth plans. The likelihood when we go to dominate other markets is that we'll probably raise again to do those things properly. Yeah, makes sense. And also, as you say, there are so many other topics that you could be providing, you know, really useful training and development on that the, yeah. the, 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 the sky's the limit, really. Well, yeah. I'm excited to see where it all goes, Lisa, and we should be following you with great interest. Thank you, Thank you. so much for sharing your experiences. And um, I'm sure it's been an inspiration to many other women who are listening to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. It's been wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for following Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. This content is all provided to you for free. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe so you never miss another one. Enter the Arena has helped hundreds of female founders fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business. Our first-hand experience, expert guidance and proven programs help female founders unleash the Wonder Woman inside. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to www.entertheArena.co.uk. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown and I look forward to talking with you soon.